Well, we continue our series, Jesus Among Us, in this ramp up to uh, Easter. We are in the Lenten season. If you're watching this in real time, uh, you are in the thick of it, reflecting on your faith, hopefully, uh, thinking about what it means to know Christ, to walk with Him. Maybe if you're watching this at a different time of year, different time of life, and you're, you're just wondering, is there anything to Jesus? We want to talk about the fact that Jesus is among us. Last week we talked about him uh, being the good shepherd. We talked about humility and vulnerability. Today, uh, in the context of Jesus among us, we're talking about Jesus the healer. Uh, the healer. And we're focusing on empathy and compassion. We're going to unpack that this morning, today. In the first sermon preached after Jesus' resurrection, uh, Peter gave a sermon. Uh, everybody has one sermon in them. I don't know if Peter was planning on preaching a sermon, but 120 people were meeting, and in the midst of their worship, uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Uh, it was called Pentecost, and uh, it was a big moment, and 120 people are now filled with the Spirit of God, and, and all the people around them on the, in the streets are saying, what is going on? Well, Peter gets up and explains what's going on, and uh, that 120 becomes 3,000 plus people uh, that day. So the church, in a sense, is born at a whole new level. So Peter, uh, with his sermon, is going to talk to the people about who Jesus is. And basically, he's talking about the fact that, you know, Jesus was among us, Jesus is among us, and that's what explains this incredible event. And he says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you through miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Now this is Acts 2, verse 22. Acts 2, 2, 2. Uh, so if you have a phone handy, if you have a Bible handy, open it up and turn to Acts 2, 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Uh, it was important that Peter was addressing Israelites. That's uh, Everybody around this group of people, 120, that then became 3,000 plus, were Jewish. This is in Jerusalem. And this is fulfilling the fact that God had promised Abraham thousands of years previously that all nations will be blessed through you. Because Abraham had put, Abram, who became Abraham, put his trust in God. And God said, all nations will be blessed through you. All families on earth will be blessed through you. And so the people have been anticipating, yearning for, praying for, hoping for the Messiah, the Redeemer, who would come and restore Israel, fulfilling all God's promises uh, to the nation. So here they are. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. And this word accredited is, is confirmed. Accredited. He's given the basis for why you should take this Jesus of Nazareth seriously. As one of the early disciples of, of, of John the Baptist who became a disciple of Jesus said when he first heard about Jesus being from Nazareth, he said, can any good thing come out of that little dinky town uh, called Nazareth? So Jesus of Nazareth accredited by God to you and he gives these three words uh, miracles, wonders, and signs. Uh, the word translated here, miracle, uh, is really the word phrase, mighty works. It's from that word we know as dynamite. Uh, dunamis, the very power, a very powerful, uh, explosive uh, impact. 
the very power of God in this case. Uh, we, you know, when, when, when Alfred Nobel was trying to figure out what to call his new invention, explosives, he called it dynamite, this explosive transformational power. Wonders and signs. Uh, this, this phrase, wonders and signs, always come together. Uh, wonders, the uh, word teras, T-E-R-A-S in English, a Greek word. Wonders, marvelous, astonishing things that happen. In this case, uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament, anytime you hear that phrase, signs and wonders, wonders and signs, they go together. Why? Because wonders in and of themselves are just interesting, phenomenon. Oh, that's interesting. The Bible writers want us to understand that these wonders are a sign. They are signs pointing to what God is doing to fulfill his promises to bless all nations on earth. And so that last word, signs, semeion, is the, is the Greek word. We know it as semiotics, a messaging, a powerful, powerful topic, subject. Uh, the, whole, the whole notion, the whole art and science of semiotics, it, it's, it defines everything about us in life. Our whole culture is about messaging, uh, telling your story, uh, shaping your brand, right? Uh, and so your phone is just a compendium of signs. Uh, verbal, nonverbal, creative, all kinds of uh, ways that we do that. So this is how Jesus was accredited by God, through these mighty works, these wonders, and these signs. And, and, and Peter says, you know, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You've seen him, you've heard about him, and now you're experiencing his power in real time. So let me just pause here for a moment and say this. There are so many pundits, some who would represent themselves as authorities on the Bible. We have, they have very impressive degrees uh, and resumes, and they have come to the conclusion that this is uh, either irrelevant uh, in terms of a real call to faith, or it's relevant only because it tells us something about the first century. And they would discount uh, the very things that I just talked about, miracles and wonders and signs. They would say, well, if they happened, they were happening all over the place. It's no big deal. Jesus was one of many magical wonder workers uh, out there, and uh, isn't it interesting? Uh, let me put it this way. Uh, I believe Jesus really did mighty works, wonders, and signs. I believe there's ample evidence, there's good evidence, that this is not uh, false and it's not irrelevant. I don't come to the conclusion that, well, it really didn't matter if Jesus did miracles or not. People believed he did, and they were thumbs up on Jesus, so that, that's what counts. No, I really do believe, based on the evidence, that Jesus did mighty works, wonders, and signs. I also believe Jesus really rose from the dead and is really among us today. I believe these are real events confirming Jesus' mission to restore his creation. Otherwise, I wouldn't believe this stuff. I believe it based on the evidence. I believe it based on the testimony. I believe it based on my own experience. All those things coming together, I would say, uh, like Peter did, this is a man accredited by God through miracles, wonders, and signs, and so many other things that Jesus did. But this is the core of it, according to Peter, as he's talking to these people on Pentecost. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll look at Jesus' authority and credibility as a, as a teacher and leader. We looked last week at, at him, the Good Shepherd, as I mentioned. Today I want to focus on why Jesus did mighty works, wonders, and signs. Why? Well, Jesus' motive and method is obedience to the Father and love for people. 
In the midst of doing these signs and wonders, these miracles, Jesus would often say, I'm simply doing the will of the Father. I do what my Father empowers me to do. He constantly gave glory and praise and honor to God. And clearly, the motive was to honor and obey God. And the method was to do that by caring for people. Showing people the love for which they were created by God. And so in the four Gospels, we have 41 recorded instances of healing by Jesus. 41 different encounters that Jesus had with people that are healings. Uh, and, And they don't fit a pattern except that. Uh, the people's response was always one of amazement, astonishment, and praising God. Sometimes people were, were healed by touching Jesus or Jesus touching them. Sometimes they weren't even present, but Jesus healed them. So the methods were all over the place. But the people's response was consistently one of amazement and astonishment and praising God. Now, there were some cases where some of the religious authorities were offended uh, by Jesus' miracles, uh, wonders, and signs because, uh, for example, if he, held, if he healed somebody on the Sabbath, they would say, well, that's just so wrong that you'd heal somebody on the Sabbath. Well, there's nothing wrong about healing on the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus pointed this out. He said, well, if you pull a, an ox out of a ditch, if you feed and water your livestock to keep them alive, if a woman is having a baby, you deliver the baby, There's nothing inherently wrong. There's no violation of the Sabbath by healing people on the Sabbath. But they were the only people who who, uh, were pushing back against Jesus. Everybody else was amazed, filled with wonder, and were giving praise to God. Jesus was not accruing uh, praise and honor to himself. Um, That certainly did happen over time. But he constantly said, this is about the Lord. And the people said, yeah, this is about God. And why? Because everything Jesus said and did pointed to the Father who cares. Everything Jesus said and did pointed to the Father. Reminding people, I'm simply fulfilling what God the Father has promised and now is bringing to bear, bringing to pass, fulfilling in your presence. So the first point of of, of this message would be Jesus personifies the empathy and compassion of God. Jesus personifies, embodies the empathy and compassion of God. Paul tells us in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. Jesus himself, John's gospel records this, saying that no one knows the Father but the Son, and the Son reveals him to others. So we wouldn't know who God was. We don't know anything about God, but for God revealing himself in ways that we could understand, and specifically through the Son. So Jesus personifies the empathy and compassion of God. Empathy is the capacity to identify and understand feelings and needs. Sympathy is, ah, I feel really bad for you. Empathy is is understanding, trying to get insight into what you're feeling and why you're feeling it, what this means to you, what your experience is. And then compassion is a commitment to doing something to help. The two aspects are the same thing, two sides of the same coin. Empathy uh, is about caring. Uh, compassion is about actually doing something because you care to meet that person's need. Not creating a dependency in a person, but empowering them or helping them to, to move past whatever it is uh, 
that is either troubling them or problematic for them, uh, aspirational in them. Empathy is our capacity to identify and understand feelings and needs. Compassion is our commitment to doing something about it. So have you received and experienced empathy and compassion? Of course you have. Reflect for a moment how you have. How have you received empathy and compassion? Perhaps from your mom. Earliest memories of most people is their mom. Perhaps from your dad. Maybe a sibling, an aunt or an uncle, a grandparent. Maybe in the course of your life you've received empathy and compassion from teachers, coaches, uh, dear friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, uh, mentors, employers, coaches, youth pastors. I mean, there's so many wonderful ways that we have probably all experienced empathy and compassion. And it's so powerful. It's so absolutely imperative for our well-being and for our fullest development as people to receive empathy and compassion. When people are deprived of empathy and compassion, it does not go well. There's a lot of making up to do, a lot of recovery needing to happen uh, to fill that gap and that deficit. It's certainly one of the most wonderful and powerful gifts we receive and give. Uh, to, to have somebody give us empathy and someone give us compassion. Such a, a, an incredible, character-shaping, life-enriching experience to have that model for us, uh, to have somebody teach us how to do it, and then for us to be able to internalize and appropriate that ourselves. Uh, this is what makes life to come together, empathy and compassion. So the second point would be this. If, if the first being that Jesus personifies the empathy and compassion of God, the second point of, 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 the, of the message is this. Empathy and compassion is core to understanding Jesus' mission and yours. Empathy and compassion is core to understanding Jesus' mission and yours. Uh, let me give you some examples that give us insight into in, uh, Jesus' thought processes. Mark tells us of Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them <clears throat> because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew tells us uh, in Matthew 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Mark 6, Matthew 14, uh, continuing in Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Three days with Jesus teaching. This could have been the Sermon on the Mount. It could have been one of the other occasions when large, large crowds gathered around him. They've been with him for two or three days. They've run through the food they brought with him. Now they don't have any food. Obviously, they're hungry. And Jesus says, I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. A beautiful expression of empathy, identifying with their needs, and compassion, wanting to help them fill those needs. Again, out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, ironically, the crowd of which they were being engulfed in this parade of humanity, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. The crowd obviously had no empathy or compassion for these two blind guys, engulfed in this parade of Jesus and all these people following him. And so when they find out who it is, they yell, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The people tell them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called out to them, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> what a great question. What do you want me to do for you? He's, he's teeing up. You know, he's expressing empathy and teeing up some compassion. 
Lord, they answered, we want our sight. They were very specific. <laughs> they were ready to be asked a question and they were ready to give the answer, apparently. They thought a long time about wouldn't it be great to have our sight? And if Jesus is who he says he is, if everything we've heard about him and his mighty works and wonders and signs is true, let's give it a shot. Let's let him know of our need. Well, Jesus had compassion on them, it says, and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Now again, Jesus' method for healing was varied. In this case, he touched their eyes. In another case, a fellow named Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus took uh, some dirt and spit into it, made a little paste, and put that on his eyes, and he was healed. In some cases, Jesus touched people, or people touched him. A woman touches the hem of his cloak. In other cases, the centurion who comes to him and says, would you heal my servant? In fact, you don't even need to come. I know you're a man of authority. Just say the word, he'll be healed. And Jesus did, and the man was healed. Or the, the Canaanite woman, an outsider to Israel, who approaches Jesus and says, my daughter is demon-possessed, would you heal her? And without ever seeing the daughter, Jesus uh, uh, delivers her from that demon. So the methods are various. The consistent piece, though, is empathy and compassion for people. Empathy and compassion is a core skill in fulfilling his mission. It's a core skill in us fulfilling our mission in life, too. And by mission, I mean everything about our life. Your life will not come together, will not be as effective and meaningful and significant and satisfying as you would like it to be until and unless you, me, all of us develop the skills of empathy and compassion. You've heard it said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In any profession, no matter what the professional standards are, no matter what competencies are required, they're enhanced, they come together, they go to a whole other level when people bring empathy and compassion with them. Do you think there's a need for more empathy and compassion in the marketplace? Uh, do you think there's a need for more empathy and compassion in the halls of power in this city, in this county, in this state, in this country, in any country and government in the world? Would you like to know that all the newly minted millionaires and billionaires that are announced every day in the media because of technology, let's say, would you like to know that in that entrepreneurial spirit, all those people are absolutely expert at empathy and compassion? Wouldn't you like to think that the people who have the most care the most and bless the most? How about this? You go to get some physical therapy. You've had shoulder surgery, knee surgery. You had a hip replacement, whatever. When you show up and the physical therapist is empathetic and compassionate, you know they're going to make you uncomfortable. They have to. They have to work with you to restore range of motion, mobility. And it's painful because they're, they're having to overcome scar tissue or muscles that haven't been used for a while or used properly. And they're pushing you through some pain and discomfort. Why? To be mean and torture you? It would feel like it at the moment, but no. In empathy and compassion, you're saying, I want to help you regain the fullest mobility and range of motion possible. Bear with me. Trust me. I'm not going to be injuring you, but it is going to be painful to you. Do you see the power of this? A leader, a teacher, a coach, a guide, 
Anybody of influence with empathy and compassion is an incredible gift to the people that they encounter and who depend on them for goods or services, leadership, uh, instruction, inspiration. Are you one of those people? Is this part of your mission? If you have a, I hope you've written a mission statement. If you haven't, get in touch with me. I'll give you some, uh, some guidelines for how to do that some resources for doing that, because you've got to have a mission statement. And at the heart of your mission statement, you've got to have a statement about your understanding and commitment to empathy and compassion. Well, Jesus' empathy and compassion culminated on the cross. We know this. All these miracles, all these mighty works and, and, and wonders and signs were leading to that moment when he would take the sins of the world upon himself. The ultimate healing that Jesus did was the healing of the world. With the, with the phrase in the Old Testament, tikkun olam, the healing, the restoration of the world. He came to rescue and restore all creation, reconciling us to God. Why? Because of his empathy and compassion. It was Jesus' purpose and focus throughout his entire ministry to the very end. In fact, on the cross, Jesus showed empathy and compassion. Here's how. To the soldiers crucifying him at the foot of the cross, gambling, dividing up his possessions, a little that, that were there. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Well, they're responsible, yes. They're complicit, of course. It's evil, absolutely. But he realizes in his empathy and compassion, they really don't know what they're doing. They don't know who they're crucifying. They don't know what this moment means. Father, forgive them. To the convicted thief next to him, two other people being uh, crucified on, on the day that Jesus was crucified. One of them starts to harangue Jesus. Hey, if you're who you say you are, get us off this cross. The other saying to his friend, a fellow thief, hey, we're here because we're guilty. This man is here, but he's innocent. And then, he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I can't remove you from this cross, but I can take you to a better place. Empathy and compassion. A third example, uh, to his mother and John. It says, near the cross, uh, this is in John 19. Uh, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. Now this is John he's referring to. John is writing the gospel, so he doesn't name his own name. He refers to himself as the, as the, as the disciple Jesus loved. Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Now this, this word woman here is not just an impersonal, hey woman, it's a very personal, tender uh, word, woman. Here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This disciple, as the one, as in the one Jesus is talking about, and also this disciple, as the one writing this account in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> so, if the first point of the message is that Jesus personifies, embodies the empathy and compassion of God. And the second point being that empathy and compassion is core to understanding Jesus' mission and yours, ours. 
The third point is this. Jesus' powerful empathy and compassion is also available to us. Now you might say, well, gosh, do I need to know Jesus to have empathy and compassion? Uh, No. Lots of people who would say, I don't believe in Jesus, have empathy and compassion. Why? Because that's how God created us. He created us in His image with the capacity to have empathy and compassion. Why? Because He has empathy and compassion. But as a new creation in Christ, the depth, the reservoirs, the sustainability of that, of that empathy and compassion expands and grows, reaches its highest, best uh, expression. Jesus' work in us through the Holy Spirit allows us to practice empathy and compassion without strings attached, without making it about us. Paul writes to the Corinthians, uh, the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now here's a post-resurrection early church example of this moving forward, this empathy and compassion of Jesus being central to his mission and now central to ours. That Jesus being among us is continuing this empathy and compassion and allowing us to appropriate it in the power of his spirit, in the presence of his people, in powerful and functional ways. Jesus is among us comforting us so that we can comfort others in his name. Empathy and compassion are functional components of our fullest personhood. Again, you're not a complete and fully developed human being unless and until you have developed the skills of empathy and compassion. Who do you know that needs God's empathy and compassion right now? Who do you know? Now you might think of somebody and say, well, they don't really deserve it, or they've abused it, or I don't trust them anymore, or uh, I'm tired of being empathetic and compassionate toward them. Obviously, then they still need it. They still need empathy and compassion, and you're just the person to deliver it. Why? Because you're the person proximate. Unless there's somebody else proximate, you are the person. There might be people who are also giving empathy and compassion. Great, you're part of a team. Most times when we bring empathy and compassion, it's good to be part of a team. The people are getting empathy and compassion from many sources. If you have a friend or you are going through cancer, let's say, you'll deplete the immediate people around you through your needs for empathy and compassion. You're going to wear them out probably. It's inevitable. You may be experienced as you being a primary caregiver would say, oh gosh, I'm exhausted. So it's nice to have a whole team of people delivering empathy and compassion. But in any case, who do you know that needs God's empathy and compassion right now. Like Isaiah sitting in the temple. You see this in Isaiah chapter 6. He has this incredible vision of the awesome and magnificence of God. Which brings him to a point of saying, I don't have what it takes. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And, and God instructs one of <clears throat> these angelic creatures, these cherif, cherubim and seraphim uh, waiting on him in the temple, to take a coal from the altar and bring it and touch Isaiah's lips and heal him, transform him, cleanse him, purify him. 
And in the midst of this experience, Isaiah hears God calling out, whom shall we send? And Isaiah then finds himself saying, Hineni, here I am, send me. He's now filled with the empathy and compassion of God. You are that for someone. Who is that someone? And maybe you need a fresh approach in providing empathy and compassion with that person. You are the natural connection of bringing God's empathy and compassion. And remember, authentic empathy and compassion doesn't make it about you. I'm tired of helping this person. About them. They still need help. This expresses the fruit of the Spirit. Love and patience and goodness and kindness, gentleness are all expressed in empathy and compassion. But you need the Holy Spirit of God in you for staying power. Otherwise, you're going to have compassion fatigue, empathy fatigue, and say, I'm tired of this. I'm done. Remember, empathy is opening your mind and heart and saying, I care. Compassion is opening your hand and saying, I'm here to help. Don't be afraid to ask for empathy and compassion when you need it. Don't be afraid to say, Lord, I need more empathy and compassion. I'm getting worn out. Empathy and compassion speak to the deepest needs in our life as Jesus did. Jesus spoke and met the deepest needs and meets the deepest needs in our life through empathy and compassion. His healing touch is delivered through empathy and compassion. Remember, too, that empathy and compassion is not enabling people or being codependent with people in their sin or misery or confusion. It's a gracious gift we offer them. So as you are, are developing your skills or intending to give empathy and compassion, remember, am I, am I enabling somebody to continue being stuck? Am I, have I become a codependent with them? I'll help them maintain this dysfunction because it's simpler, it's easier for me. Because wise, discerning empathy and compassion needs to say yes and needs to say no in the right way at the right time. Sometimes empathy and compassion is allowing somebody to hit that bottom when they're finally saying, okay, I'm ready to get help. If you're in a, in a difficult situation with somebody and they say, you know, well, you know I'm going to be on the streets if you don't help me. Right, but the way you're asking me to help you is I cannot help you that way. But when you're ready for help, I'll be here. I'm for you. Call me anytime. I'll pick you up off the streets. I'm not going to compromise my values. That's not true empathy or compassion. That's enabling behavior. That's codependency. So as we talked about last week, humility and vulnerability says I'm willing to risk caring. I am, I'm going to be diligent in learning how to be empathetic and compassionate. I'm also going to be wise and discerning as I do that. And so certainly receive empathy and compassion. Give empathy and, and compassion. But don't game it. Don't misapply it. And don't withhold it from anybody who needs it. Just be wise and discerning in the way that you give it. You can love unconditionally. I, I love the fact that really empathy and compassion are all about Unconditional positive regard, as a, as, a, as a counselor would say. Unconditional positive regard. At the same time, there's some rules for the road. There's some ways that I can and will help, and there's some ways that I can't and I won't. I think about Jesus' parable about the selfish servant. 
You see this in Matthew 18. A man owes an, an exorbitant amount of money to his master. And the master calls for an accounting, and it turns out that the servant has really squandered the money, cannot pay it back. So the, the, the master, within their rights, legally says, you're going to go to prison until that is paid off, knowing how devastating that would be to the family of this man. Well, the man pleads and pleads and begs for mercy, and, 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 and thankfully the master responds and says, okay, I'm going to forgive you this debt. I'm going to wipe it off my accounts. So the man is beside himself, happy. And as he leaves the presence of the master, he encounters another servant who owes him a small amount of money, for which this servant says, hey, by the way, you owe me some money. I want it right now. The guy says, well, I, I can't pay you right now, but I will pay you. No, I want it now or else you're going to be you know, taken off the jail, which he was. Oh, gosh, what happened here? The other servants see this and they're horrified, mortified, and they're angry. And they go back to the master and they say, do you know what this guy did? And the master says, calls that servant back in and says, you know, apparently you don't like empathy or compassion, and so I'm not going to burden you with it. I'm going to withdraw it from you. And he goes off to prison. We don't want to game it. We don't want to abuse it, use it, misuse it. But neither, neither do we want to withhold it. We simply want to be wise and discerning. So empathy and compassion is always a precious gift, and there's never any shame in giving it or receiving it. It's not weakness to give it. It's not weakness to receive it. It's a precious gift from God, modeled for us by our Lord and Savior. So when you receive it, simply say thank you and then practice it with others. It's the most powerful form of healing we can offer the world. Mighty works and wonders and signs depend on empathy and compassion. Let God fill you with empathy and compassion wherever you need it. Let God fill you with empathy and compassion that you can give it wherever it is needed. Lord Jesus, this is my prayer for me, for my family, for my brothers and sisters listening to this message. I pray this for our church, for our community, for the, all the churches in this community and, and, and this, in this country and around the world. I pray, Lord, that you'd be raising up communities, generations, of, of kids and, and, and teenagers and, and men and women of every age and stage in life filled with empathy and compassion that this would be a groundswell, a movement of your spirit that would bring renewal and revival to all who encounter it. I pray that this is what would uh, turn our country around, Lord. That you would raise up men and women to be leaders in government, in industry, in education, in all the arts and sciences who are filled with your empathy, and your compassion. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord, who loves you more than you can ask or imagine, who is continually giving you empathy and compassion, give you everything you need to be a person of empathy and compassion, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.